You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's podcast is DoorDash. Long day at work, still stuck at the office? Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and that will get you $5 off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app. Now, we are going to continue the conversation we had yesterday. We recorded this last night as well. We just broke this up into two parts. So we will continue talking a little bit about rankings. Uh, We got to see the rest of the ESP, not the entirety of the rest of the ESPN rankings come out. Uh, We'll have to see exactly where Giannis ends up being in that in the in the very top of that but we did get to see that chris middleton was in the 50 to 31 range and ultimately ended up being at 36 in the espn so 36 in the espn and then obviously as we talk about in this podcast uh 27 in the sports illustrated rankings so that was the only bit that we didn't know going into our conversation last night but we found that out today so that is what we're going to be talking about today, we'll talk a little bit about rankings. We'll talk a little bit about Bucks jersey numbers as well. So, with all that being said, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's go to SI rankings. Uh, Chris at 27. Chris Middleton at 27 on the SI list. Uh, that would put him above... Uh, uh, people always get fired up when they get to think through this. So, let me see if I can find some people that puts him above... Uh, that puts him above guys like Kyle Lowry, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, DeMar DeRozan, CJ McCollum, De'Aaron Fox, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Andre Drummond, Chris Stapps, Jamal Murray, Victor Aldipo, uh, Steve Adams. That's that's 28 through 40 right there. I just read off 28 through 40 for reference. I don't know that I have a problem with that, but I just want Bucks fans to know that we did not create this list. Um, th- this was not <laughs> us. Uh, we are often uh, told that we are Chris Middleton homers, that we are are people that stand up for Chris Middleton and say that Chris Middleton is better than they think that he is. Um, we did not make this list, and Chris Middleton ended up number 27 on it. Yeah, and uh, I, it was interesting because we had a discussion last year, uh, you might recall, and I want to say when we just sort of looked at, you know, top 40-ish guys, 
I feel like we put Chris around like low 30s. Like I want to say low to mid 30s. 32 or 33, I think. Yeah, 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 I think it was 32, 33. Um, and as you said, I mean, we're obviously not, uh, you know, Chris Middleton skeptics. Um, I don't think we're irrational about Chris Middleton, but uh, but yeah, it was it was kind of cool to see him obviously crack the top 30. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of reasons sort of year to year. Um, you know, the fact that there's a, a number of, you know, great players who, who are injured. I mean, Clay Thompson is at 58 because of his injury. He's going to miss most of the year. Oladipo is at 39 because he's going to miss, obviously, at least sounds like a couple months. Durant's not on the list. Um, who else is not on the list? I think there's either one or two more, uh, like, star guys that, that could have been in the discussion for, uh, for, for, you know, spots ahead of Chris that are not. So again, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances why he, you know, maybe a little bit higher than you might expect if, if the entire league was healthy, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Co- I think cousins and wall cousins and wall on the list. Yeah. I mean, but you know, if John wall was healthy, is he top 30? Probably not. Cousins definitely isn't, I think at this point. So, those guys just probably say, don't actually just grab the other people. Just yeah, yeah. no, people. no. I th- those are guys that would be somewhere probably on this list. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it's it's kind of funny, right? Like two years ago, how many people would have taken Demarcus Cousins moving forward over Chris Middleton? Probably a lot of Bucks fans. Right now, I mean, even if he was, even if Boogie had not torn his ACL, like you'd have to be crazy to take Boogie Cousins, even healthy, coming off last season over Chris Middleton, just the way the game has changed the way he is, you know, obviously had to battle back from that Achilles um, and obviously had some moments in the playoffs, but generally not so many moments. Um, yeah. It's, it's just interesting kind of where, where Chris Middleton is relative to a lot of other guys that previously you would have said they were clearly better than, but, uh, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, looking at looking at, I mean, we mentioned the guys that he's ahead of, uh, I mean, certainly you can make the case a number of these guys. I mean, especially a guy like Luca, obviously being very young, uh, to some extent, Mitchell. You know, are, are there scenarios where those guys make big leaps this year that Chris Middleton is not going to make because of his age? Absolutely, right. Those guys could, you know, Luca could be a top fifteen player this year, right? That wouldn't wouldn't shock me a bit. Um, but guys like DeRozan, McCollum, I think of, are, are maybe guys that uh, Bucks fans from a grass is greener perspective might have thought were better than Chris and I've never put those guys ahead of Chris uh, the past few years just because I think when you kind of peel back the onion on them um, they have flaws especially when you think about them as, as two-way players that, that Chris doesn't have so uh, so yeah it's pretty cool to see Chris at, at uh, 27 and um, you know again I don't think we're going to be uh, able to coerce a lot of like you know Bucks have one of the top duos in the league since everybody's talking about that but we've obviously joked a little bit about uh, how much Giannis should, should should weigh heavily in any discussion of duos and uh, Chris Middleton, pretty damn good. So um, nice to see some validation of that. We haven't seen the ESPN. I mean, by, by the time people listen to this, I guess maybe the rest of ESPN's list is going to be out. Um, but uh, Chris is in somewhere in the top 50 there. We don't know where. So I'll be a little curious to see where he ends up on that list. But uh, yeah, Chris Middleton, good at basketball. And um, I'd say if he, continues to be a top 30 player moving forward as, as this list has him, um, you know, people probably won't talk about uh, the $178 million contract he signed. Oh no, they definitely will. Never mind. Of course, Chris, Chris, Chris will still be talked about and, and I, it comes with the territory, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, Chris Middleton's good. He doesn't really do things poorly and 
you know, again, that, that may mean he's um, not a superstar. They doesn't have that level upside, of course. But, uh, man, he's, he's a really good basketball player. And he's obviously going to be really important to everything they do moving forward. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought a couple. So the guy right behind him is Kyle Lowry. And Lowry's at 28 on this list. And then if you go a little bit further up, I think Marcus Saul's at 40, 41, somewhere in that range. Uh, 42, excuse me, for Marcus Saul. And I just kind of found myself thinking, like, okay, I, I, I like Kyle Lowry in that spot because I just think for years Kyle Lowry was really just – kind of rake through the coals. People were always picking the game apart and always wanted to say that, you know, he just wasn't good enough to to be this or be that. Um, he wasn't good enough to be a point guard on a championship team. He wasn't good enough to be one of the top two guys. And then, you know, like he was just kind of himself uh, in the, those playoffs last year. And then you had a, a true star like Kawhi Leonard play like a true star. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you know what? Having Kyle Lowry is pretty damn good. Like that's that's something you want on your team. And again, maybe it was uh, you know even further amplified because Eric Bledsoe was playing terribly during that series that the Bucks ended up losing the Eastern Conference Finals. But it was just another spot where it's just like, oh yeah, like that is that is the value of having someone who's just kind of good at everything. Like he's a very good defensive point guard. He can hit three. He can create a little bit off a dribble. He can do some of all of these things, and he's battle-tested. He can just handle this. And I just found myself, when the when these rankings came out, kind of just liking the that those two guys were right next to each other. Because I think if, if Giannis has a better Eastern Conference Finals, uh, you know, maybe everyone looks at Chris Middleton a little bit differently. Like maybe that ends up going uh, a little bit differently for him that there are not as many complaints. And like, I, I always just think, okay, is, do the Bucks have enough to win a championship? And I think that they do. And it's like, okay, if, if Chris Middleton all of a sudden has a championship is every, like not everyone, but a lot of basketball folks telling you, hey, Chris Middleton's really good. And the fact that he can do a lot of things is really good and really helpful for any team. And he'd be, uh, you know, a valuable asset to any team. Does that speak more, uh, does it speak more true when all of a sudden he does have a ring? And I would, I would guess almost certainly. Um, that would almost certainly be the case. So I think that seeing him by Lowry just made me kind of think of that. And yeah, I mean, Chris Middleton is a really good basketball player and he's going to continue to be a really good basketball player. Uh, and people are going to continue to complain about the amount of money he makes, even though this is the first year that he's actually made too much money. Uh, last three years, he's been one of the best deals in the league, but for some reason that didn't really get discussed, just that he was going to get overpaid at some point. I, I don't know how that works, but weird. Um, so, yeah, Chris Middleton is going to be good. People are going to complain about him. That's going to kind of be how it is. Uh, let's go to the rest of these two lists. I think the the difference in ESPN and Sports Illustrated lists for 
uh, or places rankings on, on their list for Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez, I think are kind of useful. I, I think it, it helps speak to some of the, the, po- the possible outcomes. And I think the, the variance in range of where people view these guys, because Ramaoni has uh, Bledsoe at 46 in Sports Illustrated. ESPN has Bledsoe at 67. Uh, Rob Mahoney in Sports Illustrated has Brooke at 66, and ESPN has Brooke at 80. And, I mean, I think to some extent there's something to be said for that, that with those guys, at least in some ways, beauty can be a little bit in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, and I think, you know, seeing Brooke and Bledsoe where they were, the ranges um, on on the ESPN and SI list being – you know, roughly about a 20, 20 spot range. I think Brooke was what 14 and with blood. So it was a 21 spot difference. Um, it just kind of goes to show. And again, I think that there are, I can easily see worlds where both of those things can be true. Um, I, I mean, I can see worlds where Brooke is better than 66 or wherever he was on the, the SCI list, even though I think that's a pretty, pretty fair, pretty fair range. And um, again, I think, you know, I think Brooke in particular speaks to, the importance of role for a role player. Um, I think certainly in his early days, he was a guy that, you know, I mean, was a, an all-star caliber center and scored a lot and was a focal point when he was in Brooklyn. Um, but in Milwaukee, obviously he's not asked to do that, but you know, he doesn't score a ton of points, but what he does is really instrumental to obviously the Bucks spacing and the offense that they have built around Giannis. And defensively, he's obviously maybe not quite as crucial as Giannis, but he's, he's close. I mean, you know, the fact that uh, you've got Eric Bledsoe who's a first team, all defensive guy. Uh, and I, I think Lopez was more important than he was on defense last year. And that speaks volumes about how, how good Brooke Lopez is on defense and just how perfectly and seamlessly he fit into, to what they did. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think it, it's interesting. I think with centers also, there's just this, the perpetual question of like, well, how valuable are centers really in today's NBA? Um, you know, interestingly, just as we were starting to sort of discount centers, period, um, you know, there is a, a group of great young centers who are extremely valuable, you know, obviously starting with you know, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid and, and when Anthony Davis, you know, if, is trying to be honest with himself, you can throw Anthony Davis probably in there as well. Uh, since he, you know, is perpetually trying to say he's a power forward, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's an interesting question. And, um, you know, again, it's, I'm definitely not going to, uh, exert a lot of energy arguing that Brooke is definitely better than 66 or, you know, 80 or definitely worse than, than whatever. Right. Um, he is going to be, I think, very valuable to Milwaukee Bucks, whether that translates into some you know, objective valuation. Cause I think that is part of like what Rob tries to do with the SI list is not say the value of that guy for his team, but the value of that guy more generally. And I think in that case, that's where like, I would say Brooke actually would take a hit, right? Because I think he's uniquely valuable to the box, even though rim protection and three point shooting are valuable to any team from a big man. Um, I think he's particularly valuable to the box given what they need around Giannis. And so, um, you know, I think viewed through that lens, you could argue he has less maybe objective value versus his value to the Bucks. Um, Bledsoe, probably less of that argument just because 
ideally you'd want a three-point shooter around Giannis and a guy like Bledsoe, obviously, as we saw in the playoffs being the extreme example, um, that obviously can be a concern if, if he's not taking slash making shots. So, um, so I don't know. I thought it was, you know, good to see those guys acknowledged for how important they are. Um, because again, I think anytime you kind of scroll through these lists, you know, you'll just see guys in the fifties or sixties and you kind of just say like, eh, does that guy really matter? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, or yeah. whatever. Uh, but I think especially once you get outside the top 30 or 40, I think context has become so, so important because, you know, you'll have guys who are, you know, in their forties who may be on one team, a number one scoring option. And on another team, that's really good. They might be a third or fourth banana. And obviously that's going to really impact their usage, you know, their, their raw stats and the perception that people have of them. Um, so again, I, I think, you know, come back a little bit to uh, what we've always discussed, but even before Mike Budenholzer came on board that great coaches, you know, sort of maximize players, especially role players in a lot of ways. Um, and, I don't want to call, I mean, I wouldn't call Bledsoe and Lopez role players per se. I mean, I think of, you, I think of like more like, you know, Pat Connaughton is a role player, right? Uh, Ursan's a role player. I think more of those guys as role players. Um, but especially Brooke has a very defined role and it helps him to maximize his value. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, going to play for a great coach with a really well-defined system. Um, he was, you know, the Bucks were able to really maximize him and, and obviously help boost his value beyond sort of what certainly anybody, certainly any NBA team apparently thought he was worth last summer. Yeah, I think with Brooke, it was really interesting. And I, this is the time of year, you know, where you're kind of listening to a bunch of different podcasts to try to get different perspectives on, the team that we end up talking about, the team that I that I cover, and you just kind of go through it and you listen to different people talk. And I, I know I was listening to the uh, Hoop Collective podcast, the the one that Brian Windhorst hosts, and he was talking about you know in China just how bad Brook Lopez looked, and you know just how he didn't seem to be able to get into any sort of flow, and, and just wasn't really working, and you know, just looked bad in, in my head. It was just like one who cares about international basketball. Like, <laughs> as yeah. Brian pointed out later, like Ricky Rubio was the MVP or something. So was putting up 20 point games like that. It's a different version of basketball, but the thing I, I kept coming back to, and obviously I've already freaked out on this podcast about it, but it, it was just like, well, you know, if you have Brooke Lopez, play with his back to the basket and try to hand it off offensively and then defensively, you know, ask him to cover in space a little bit more and don't keep him by the rim. Well, you know, he's not going to look as good. Like that, that's not, that's not an ideal situation for him. And uh, I pointed to like that being on Greg Popovich that he wasn't put in the, the right spot. But I also think it's, it's a good reminder that, if not perfectly maximized, which I think he is in Milwaukee. Like I can't think of a more ideal situation than the one that he has in Milwaukee where he can full on drop on defense, hang out by the rim, challenge shots and let Giannis fly around and do cool Giannis stuff on defense. And then offensively just run pick and pops, shoot 30 footers. If the Bucks need him to post every once in a while, he can do that. But Really, it just feels like he's totally maximizing Milwaukee that, you know, is there probably another 
five to ten teams that could maximize him in the same way? Probably. Maybe closer to five, another ten that could use him really well. Maybe 15 that would use him in the right way. And then in the NBA, there's probably 15 teams that would use him poorly. Like, I think that's just uh, kind of a fact of the matter as far as how many good coaches there are in the league, how many systems could actually use a big of, of Brooke Lopez's skill set. Like, I, I do think that, like you said, it is somewhat context dependent for a number of these players in this area where they'd be really good and, you know, where they'd be really bad or where they could show off a little bit more or, or where they might not look quite as good. So I, I do think that's important to keep in, in mind with him. And then I think with Eric Bledsoe, really the interesting thing is, and this is this is something I've been struggling with thinking about this upcoming year, is does anything he does in the regular season matter? Um, like, I think as, as far as it, it clearing his name, showing you that he's ready to take the next step, I feel like it can't. Like, you have this huge Celt, the, the big Celtic series, uh, last year or two years ago, and Terry Rozier outplays him, he just looks lost, and then it was, oh, you know, can Eric Bledsoe recover from that? And then last year, he's fantastic, all defense. He's, he's really finding a flow in Bud's offense. He's found, finding a way to be a part of Bud's offense. And you're thinking, okay, maybe he's figured it out. The Bucks signed him to an extension. And then the playoffs come around, and he ends up shitting the bed again. And uh, to me, it's just like, okay, do I think he's going to be great in the regular season? Yeah, probably. But, like, I do think he, he will end up putting together another really strong regular season because this scheme defensively really lets him be who he is and allows him to do what he's good at. And offensively, I think it does many of those same things. But I, I don't think there's anything he can do in the regular season that is going to make anyone say, yeah, playoff time, that's a guy I trust. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's like I think he still needs to be good during the regular season because if the Bucs want to be, you know, a number one seed, they can't really afford to have him go from being a great regular season player to, you know, a mediocre one, right? And I also don't think I I think it's probably less likely that he's going to play with the yeah, level of confidence sure. and quality that you want to see from him in the playoffs if he has a big drop off during the regular season. So I would say another good regular season is necessary, but not sufficient for yep. next year overall. Um, because again, uh, you know, if it's going to be show me, right. It's going to be prove it. And uh, until he plays well in, in a postseason, um, I think understandably people are going to kind of say well, exactly kind of what you're alluding to. Well, it doesn't matter. We knew you could be good during the season, but um, you know, now you're playing for a 61 team that's trying to win a championship. And if you can't do it there, then, uh, what do you really have? Um, so, you know, and, it, and it's just a shame because, you know, he played very well against the Pistons in the first round of the playoffs. And so you kind of hoped, okay, you know, uh, granted it's the Pistons. It wasn't, you know, a, a competitive series, blah, blah, blah. But 
60% true shooting, 19 points, five assists, four rebounds. Generally played really, really well. Um, and then it just got, you know, he was a little below average, I'd say, against the the Celtics. I think he was like 13 points, four assists, um, 51% true shooting. So not efficient, you know, scoring the ball. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, the last series, the series that, that shall not be tied series where, um, you know, give Nick Nurse credit. They really exploited his confidence, I would say. Uh, and the fact that he didn't look like a guy who wanted to shoot, um, didn't look like a guy who was capable of, of knocking down a shot. And, you know, sure enough, against uh, against Toronto, 10 points, four assists, four rebounds. That's probably the, the, the most charitable view of, of his of his performance. You know, you look at the percentages, 29% from the field overall, 17% on threes. Um, it just doesn't work. You know, Miritich shoots 34% and 19% from, uh, from three. I mean, that, you know, what might have been, right? If if he shoots 40% and 30%, Bucks probably win the series, right? I mean, you know, like that that probably gets you over the hump when you look at, uh, you know, games three through through six. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not the way, you know, <laughs> that's not the way, that's not the accounting that's used when we, when we talk about playoff series. So uh, obviously, you know, he was left with a very long summer to think about, uh, what went wrong and what he can do to improve. And yeah, like we said, I mean, it's, it's vexing because his style, you know, it's not like he's a guy you always think of the guys that should be exposed during the playoffs as being guys who are poor defenders, you know, can be exploited one-on-one, can be isolated, things like that. Well, he's a first team all defensive guy, right? Like that's not, that's not the thing you're worried about, but just the fact that he just has gone into a shell offensively at these very big moments in the playoffs, the past two past two years obviously they you know they have to figure out how to how to avoid that and and unfortunately with Malcolm Brogdon gone um it's going to be much harder to hide him this year than even last year right uh you know as that that Raptor series went on they were able to I mean Bud just kind of tried to stagger him a bit stagger him and Giannis's minutes a bit just so they weren't able to play off him when Giannis was in the game as much. Um, and you could do that a lot more easily when you had both George Hill and, and Malcolm Brogdon this year, you've got George Hill and uh, Frank Mason, the third at point. Guard. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh it's, it's a huge question. And unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, we're gonna have to wait until what may of next year, likely before we get any real answer. And um, so I'm, I'm definitely, I would say that the regular season is definitely important, but as, as you were alluding to, it's uh, it's it's not going to be really the the thing that that ultimately is is what his his season is going to be based on. Yeah, and like as you were saying it, I I could kind of feel people, um, or just as you're going through, like, oh yeah, you know, Fledso's a little bit better in that series. You know, maybe they can win. And in my head, I can hear people being like, well, what what if Middleton's better? And yeah, yeah. If, if Middleton's better, I think yeah. the same thing could be true. And what if Giannis is better? Again, uh, I, I think the same thing can be true that if if he if any of those three are better, yeah, they do win this. If Brooke Lopez hits some more shots, like so, I, I do understand that there will be some pushback on, you know, don't put it all on Bledsoe because deserve. I mean, I think other guys deserved to to have questions made about the way that they played in that series, uh, but. With when Bledsoe struggles and when Bledsoe does not have that confidence, it becomes a lot harder on everyone else. Like 
And the same thing can't be said for for Chris Middleton. If he's struggling with his shot, he still gets covered. Like that 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 doesn't change. That teams will still respect his shot because he's done it long enough that they'll do it. And I mean, even in that Raptor series, they were sending double teams like Chris Middleton. Like that was that was crazy. Uh, and obviously Giannis was seeing three or four guys. So him Bledsoe struggling really makes it tough on this team. Uh, and yeah, it, th- I think that that will be, I would assume that would be an internal struggle for Bledsoe during the season because those questions aren't going anywhere. No matter how well he plays, people are still going to be, all right, well, what's going to happen when you get to the playoffs? And he did it all of this year, right? Like, he played great, and there was still – it didn't matter who it was. When you talked about the Bucks, uh, it didn't matter what ESPN talking had was was on the show at that time. It was always, well, yeah, but what if Terry Rozier comes around or the ghost of Terry Rozier or, or whatever it may be? Like, what if, what if that happens again? So uh, that's something that Eric Bledsoe is going to have to deal with again throughout this season, and I, I'm curious how it will – fuel his fire or how it may hold him back or, or, or what it, how it'll affect him. Cause I, I think it's going to be something that that isn't going anywhere and, and can't go anywhere until the playoffs. Um, Bucks didn't have anyone else in any of these rankings. That's not really a surprise. I don't think um, I'm assuming you weren't at all surprised by, by that fact, right? No, not, not at all. I mean, obviously Malcolm Brogdon, I think was, was he 61? 61 on Sports Illustrated? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I think he maybe was high 50s on ESPN, something like that. So, sure. I, well, that seems fair. I'm interested by, I'm interested by the outside perspective on Malcolm Brogdon. That is something that, as the summer has gone on, has has fascinated me because, and this isn't to disparage Malcolm Brogdon and everything, but I do think from the outside, you often see all of the things that everyone would like about Malcolm Brogdon, the obvious things that are good about Malcolm Brogdon. But I don't know if you see the... I I think to understand his limitations, you have to watch him more than in a playoff series. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and I think... uh... You know, it will be especially interesting given the role he is presumably going to be taking on in Indiana, where he'll be more of a point guard. Uh, the ball will be in his hands more, and and I think on the one hand, it's an opportunity for him to um, change his mindset a bit, right? I think last year uh, at shooting guard, being you know whatever the third fourth option, um, you know, I think he probably hunted shots more and maybe was less of a playmaker than he maybe could have been. Um, so I think it's a good opportunity for him to, you know, prove those of us, I think the two of us included who, you know, don't think he's really a point guard or that he's, you know, maybe going to be maximized per se by, by being point guard. Um, it's an opportunity for him to kind of prove, prove us maybe wrong mm-hmm. or show what, what he's really capable of doing. Um, so I think that will be interesting, but, but certainly, uh, you know, that also, you know, defensively, I think obviously we, we talk a lot about how sort of his, his best role is probably as 
defending wings or, you know, twos and threes rather than ones, just because of, you know, the fact that he's, he's big and, um, you know, his, his kind of lateral movement getting over screens is, is just hard for him. So uh, I'm curious to see exactly what they do there when Oladipo comes back. Uh, obviously Oladipo is not a stranger to defending point guards. Um, I have to, I mean, I don't, watch Victor Oladipo religiously, but uh, he's going to be coming off obviously a pretty serious leg injury. So I don't know. It's an interesting question. He, he, on the one hand, you know, healthy is probably better suited to defending point guards than Malcolm, but um, I imagine they're not going to try to overwork him uh, defensively when he first comes back. So it's going to be a, uh, an interesting sort of thing to watch for. Right. But Overall, Indiana, obviously, good defensive system. They've been very good the last few years. So um, it's not like Malcolm's going into some you know garbage team that doesn't know how to defend as a team or anything like that either. Uh, the track record there has been pretty good. Although, as we've discussed, this is this is a really different Indiana team than yeah. I think it's a it's I think it's a more different Indiana team than people are maybe acknowledging. Like again, I think a lot of people are sort of looking at Indiana as like, oh, they added you know. Brogdon and, and Jeremy Lamb and okay they're they're more interesting um, but uh, I mean they for everybody they added they kind of lost somebody too and so it it's it's a pretty different team than than we saw a couple of years ago TJ Warren also being thrown into the mix um, but you know again I mean Boyan Bogdanovich is gone Thad Young is gone Darren Collison is gone Corey Joseph is gone um, it's it is a pretty different pretty different team than than we saw previously. I think Corey Joseph, I forget where Corey Joseph went, but he's, I'm he's sure gone. He's gone. It's two for 24 to the Kings uh, somewhere ridiculous. That yeah. Him a, Sacramento. Yeah. That feels right. Corey Joseph getting a lot of money yeah. to go like play. Not that many minutes. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, okay, great. That was fun. Talk through some rankings. Wait, uh, we have something, we have we'll something have important. To, we, have, we have something important to talk through. Uh, Bucks numbers, new Bucks numbers uh, were announced. Um, oh wow! Yes, yeah. Some some not surprising stuff. The Nasus number forty three, which kind of we expected, reversing his brothers. Uh, no initials on the jerseys. I know we we, we uh, t- tweeted about that earlier this season. You were speculating how much of a I really, disaster. I wanted it. Yeah, I, I Nassus, wanted. It. Uh, I wanted a, a, initials on social on media. He was shown flashing the back of his jersey. It just said Adetokounmpo. It did not say T. Adetokounmpo, as though as though we really need you know because we really need to know oh that's the NASA's that's not Giannis okay no they they are giving us that much credit as fans um, <laughs> Dragon Bender seventeen um, and maybe the most interesting one to me Wes Matthews takes over the cursed number of Vincenzo I'm very excited about because obviously uh, you know we unfortunately have gotten way too much mileage out of hashtag secret Dante. And I feel like the number nine is partly to blame for that. Uh, people may recall he wore number 10 in college. Number 10 not available in Milwaukee with Bob Dandridge just having that number retired. So he went one lower than that, number nine. But I I knew that we've had a bad string of luck as far as guys coming in, taking the number nine, and then leaving pretty much you know after a year. Uh, but I went to Basketball Reference. I tweeted about this the other day. It is a shocking history for the number nine in Milwaukee. Wes Matthews is the 18th player to wear the number nine. One of them has worn that number for more than a year. And that was Francisco friggin Elson who wore it for 70 games over parts of the season. Uh, so 
say this, as someone who is concerned about Dante DiVincenzo's, uh, you know, foot and injuries and getting him on the court and having him become a productive member of the Milwaukee Bucks, I feel like getting rid of that number nine is can only be a positive thing. Also, he's number zero now, and I think number zero is a cool number. Uh, and I'm I'm very I'm very pro Dante going from ten to nine and now to zero. I think it's the the best move he could make coming, especially given he's a number ten guy. Uh, and I'm just glad he's longer number nine. And I pray to God for Wes Matthews' uh, good health. But uh, I feel like this is uh, he hasn't played a game yet. But I feel like this is already the beginning of the end for Wes Matthews' tenure in Milwaukee. It is kind of why, and I, I guess really there's a bunch of numbers in Milwaukee that no matter what number you would choose, there's probably a bad history for it. Uh, but I was looking, I was looking at zeros in in the recent uh, past for for the Bucks, and four people have worn it, and it's Trayvon Duvall, Xavier Munford, uh, Glove Junior, and Drew Gooden. Like that, that is, that is the list. I guess Drew Gooden would be a best case scenario, but they really have gone through some number yeah. nines over the years. Like you have no, notable veterans that were actually helpful in Sean Livingston and Jared Dudley. And then I guess Miroslav Radulica had, well, hey had some moments Radulica, as well. Come on, uh, come on. Radulica. I'm sorry, Frank. I don't there even know go. why I tried to go. say it. Um, <laughs> then Chris Copeland. E, not so great. Ooh, uh, Be- Beasley there though. Uh that that's somewhat okay for nine. And then Sean Kilpatrick. Nine is a weird one. Uh so so there's some stuff there. Um but I, I yeah, we'll have to see. I, also Ursa went back to seven. That yes. was that yeah, was, that's true. That was another change. So he he had worn seven. Bond maker's gone. Yeah. Yes. Thonmaker's gone, so it opened up seven. So Ursan is back to young Ursan. So we'll, I'm I'm predicting a hundred charge season for young regen, you know, re-energized Ursan. But also not that young of her. Actually, did Ursan actually ever wear twenty three? There's just pictures with him in it, right? Because that no, was like so draft think, night, and then he didn't play in it, right? Yeah. So I think I, I think twenty three was. Technically, the jersey he was like assigned in 2005 when he was a rookie, but he never played, if I remember correctly. And before he ever wore it, I think Ruben Patterson uh, took the number. Mm. Which, let's be honest, if you're 18 year old Arsan Eliasova and Ruben friggin Patterson comes and says, "I'm taking number 23," you're probably gonna you're probably gonna take take that number. You got to let the Kobe um, actually, yeah. once. That, that. Yeah, I, yeah, so Ruben Patterson wore it in 2000, I think 2006, 2007. And so I think Ursan, he may have, Ursan, for all of 2000, he didn't play that year. So, um, you know, did he really ever have the number? I guess uh, if you never wear it in a game, did you actually wear the number? Uh, I, you know, that, I will leave you with that. Uh, in, but I'll, I'll say this, basketball reference doesn't even reflect him having that number like he's not listed as one of the uh as one of the uh, players to have worn number 23 for uh, for the Milwaukee All right. Bucks. I think we I think we really did it. Uh we 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 went to a topic I was even thinking about so I'm happy we got through some jersey numbers as well. Oh, Kyle Korver number 26. Kyle Korver number 26 which he's worn elsewhere. So no no shocker there. And by the way, by the way, did you see Robin Lopez's tweet uh about uh, the Bucks tweeted pictures. Uh, uh, they had a, tweet, a picture of Cal Corver in his New Jersey and 
Robin in his New Jersey, who's wearing number 42, his old number. Uh, and did you see Robin's tweet? He retweeted with a comment. Did you see his comment? I did not. Uh, he just it was Corver and him, and he just retweeted two best looking guys on the team. Which well, I, the way <laughs> the way I saw that was somebody messaged me the tweet, and I I just I couldn't see the pictures, and I saw two best looking guys on the team. I assume he was referring to him and his twin brother, who looks just like him, other than his hair. And then I opened the tweet, and I saw that no Brooke was not <laughs> in the tweet. And I thought that is perfect. Another example of Robin Lopez being amazing at Twitter. He really is. I, I can't think of a better NBA player uh, just in terms of just sense of humor and quality of, of tweeting. Uh, if you have better ones, tweet at me. Tell me who is a better NBA Twitter follow than, than Robin Lopez. I am looking forward to this season uh, of Robin on Twitter. I felt very bad about the number of times I've retweeted him. Because yeah, I just, find just like he tweets, funny. retweet like, it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, yeah, it's funny. Like, I should retweet that. Even though, you know, you always... I don't know. I don't know. Like, you don't want to be like a fanboy or something, but like he's yeah. funny. So yeah, he's he's a good one. Uh, all right. Today's episode brought to you by DoorDash. Long day at work, still stuck in the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code locked on. For Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.